see, this is my life. It always will be. There's nothing else. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. All right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close-up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ready for Close-Up. My name is Andy and I'm here again with my fellow movie geek and partner in crime, Sam. Hello, Sam. Hey, Andy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fine. Excellent. Today, we would like to take you on a cinematic journey through lockdowns in movies. One year after the first lockdowns all over Europe and the world happened. Ever since the inception of cinema, movies and stories that were happening in just one setting, space or room have captured the fascination of movie makers and audiences alike. Descending from theatrical reality and practicality, movies with a limited range of settings or characters finding themselves trapped in one place soon would evolve into a fascinating trope that offers many variations. Very often the concept of restrictions to move freely both physically and mentally, has always been very fruitful for movie makers. And today we would like to discuss these different variations, from horror movies to murder mysteries, from psychological dramas to thrillers. Being in lockdown has always made for great cinema, until reality caught up. So Sam, what were your first thoughts or associations when we agreed upon making this podcast on lockdowns at the movies? Well, first of all, I thought back to history. I thought, you know, how old this concept is. And it might have been for just the practicality of, you know, making movies with limited means or even earlier staging theater plays in limited surroundings that made these scenarios of a few characters locked in one space or just in one uh, location so attractive. So I thought back of classical theater, you know, where you have a unity of action, place and time since Aristotle, these Aristotelian unities that he defined of action, place and time. So I read a little bit up on that and apparently that was taken over by many authors in Italy, French and the English Renaissance, think of Moliere or Shakespeare, that would take these and make them into a riveting place and very often keep those characters locked in particular houses or castles or just very secluded locations. And then looking a little bit later at 20th century literature, I thought of Wicklow, this uh, 1944 existentialist text by Sartre, and which also inspired this term Wicklow that was then used for similarly locked in situations in theater, in cinema and TV and so on. So this concept has been with us in a way since the beginning of staging theater, cinema and TV alike. So Andy, what were your first associations with the topic? I think they were similar to what you were just saying that I think on one hand, there is this whole historical, technical background that movies very early on, but also later in TV, when they used just one room, one space, one setting, it has had a lot of practical reasons. And I think that many early movies, there were also stage adaptations. So I think the classical plays, as you just nicely explained, they had this unity of place and time. And I think movies adapted this at first. 
and also due to the technical possibilities of the time. And then only later when special effects caught up and the, the medium grew, then they also the scenery grew in that sense. So I think it has always been there in, in cinema history, this, this weak close, so to speak, this locked in situations. And I think it developed then less from a technical standpoint, but more from a narrative standpoint. Screenwriters or playwrights would actively set up these locked in situations to create certain aspects of a story or to create suspense or in that sense when we started discussing the the theme of this podcast my first thoughts were really revolving around this murder mysteries i think very famously yeah done by agatha christie and i think she was really in in her novels she really made these beautiful settings of people trapped in a in a situation in a house in a cabin on an island where they couldn't escape and then a murder was happening or a dead person showed up so i think this was all made for this classical setting that ever since has become a staple of of crimes and thrillers when we go back to movies i think there is really a movie from 1945 which is based on this concept from agatha christie the movie is called and then there were none this has become really somewhat of a blueprint for the lockdown murder mystery where 10 strangers are invited to a house uh, on an island and then they're cut off from the outer world and one by one is then killed off by a mysterious killer and i think this is sounds so familiar because ever since it has become such a staple but the movie itself is is it's nice to watch um and I think this concept of murder mysteries has, has been duplicated in many, many variations ever since. And many also argue that And Then There Were None was, was sort of the original blueprint for a slasher movie. In that sense that it provided the narrative structure for many horror movies of the 1970s later on. Like a group of people in a remote place and then they're killed off one by one and the bodies show up gruesomely. And there's also the final girl facing the killer in the end. So I think there, there are a lot of narrative structures already in this origin story, if you like, that make up for this murder mystery. But even more so, I think it was then translated also into, into television. You know, if you think yeah. of the counterpart of Hercule Poirot, which is kind of Colombo in 70s television, or then, of course, Jessica Fletcher, Murder, She Wrote, where those scenarios are very Agatha Christie-like, but I think, again, are attractive because TV productions in the 70s and 80s just were, you know, more small scale. And it would be attractive to have those on one island, in one mansion, in one building that is also this mix of buildings suspense in a very classic fashion and also doing it with limited means and trying things out with uh, simple means. And I think that the setting that you have when you have a bunch of strange, seemingly strangers sometimes in one place also increases the suspense tremendously. If you have the structure that characters can leave anytime they want or they can come in, I mean, there's never really that much at stake. And I think, yeah, this setting is really, really, really nice and, and maybe sometimes has been overdone a bit. So I think it also borders sometimes into the cliche almost. But I think in its very core, it's, it's still very functioning. Yeah, I just thought of a few examples of or types of movies where people are physically locked down. If you think of 12 Angry Men with 12 jurors 
locked in a stuffy room on a hot summer afternoon until they reach a verdict they can't leave so they have to be in there and then these 12 characters just start to fight and discuss and come up with different perspectives or just a very different one that i just saw as, as a teenager Abwärts, a german production from 1984 mm. where there's a group of people locked in an elevator starring Götzke Orge or the, one of my favorite disaster movies because i was totally into disaster movies as a teenager and of course there's a lot of lockdowns there too be it high rise buildings that are burning be it bunkers or trains and of course airplanes and one of my favorite was always airport 77 where the the boeing crashes into the ocean and they are locked in on the water and of course there's the suspense of the, you know the water pushing into the plane will they be rescued in time so i think almost all genres have a potential for these physical lockdowns this is airport 77 Drown in here. Nobody is going to drown. The plane is pressurized. Have you radioed for help? Radios don't work underwater, but our course has been tracked on radar and they know exactly where we went down. What'll we do? Oh, calm down. We run out of air for I said calm down! An unforgettable adventure. To continue this lineage of physical lock-in, so to speak, uh, also comes to mind this um, the movie Phone Booth with Colin Farrell, where he's basically on this phone booth on the phone with a sniper killer, if I remember correctly, who has pointed his sniper towards him and he can't leave the phone booth, basically. So I think there's also this suspense element there. And yeah, I think all these movies have in common that they make something the focus of a space or a place where we usually wouldn't spend so much time in. I think a plane or a phone booth or an elevator is something that we, we go in, we spend there a few minutes or a few hours and then we leave again. And what happens when you're really stuck in there? And I think this this deviation from the norm of these spaces that makes for the interesting filmmaking in the end, that what would happen if you're stuck in an elevator? What happens if you're stuck in a, in whatever, in, yeah, in, in, in a public transport with random strangers? And and I think then out of these constellations, the movies create their, their narrative power. And it was an interesting point you made when we were planning this to make the distinction between physical lockdown and the psychological one, how being physically locked down can then lead to the conflicts breaking out and kind of becoming psycho thrillers. And I think there's also the other way around. I thought also of moments when actually characters are locked into themselves. And I thought of at least two examples from a very different range there was this uh, French movie Le Scaphandre et le Papillon 2007 which is the biography of uh, Jean-Dominique Bobby who's suffering from this locked-in syndrome and uh, Julian Schnabel made a really great movie showing that in such a riveting poetic way with just a limited camera work as well and just trying to show his perspective and it's beautiful but it's also of course very enclosing as a person watching this to imagine that would be the only thing you would see that brought me to Hitchcock you know remember we talked just uh, at the end of the year we talked about Alfred Hitchcock Presents and there's this yes. great episode Breakdown starring Joseph Cotton where he's also after a, a car accident he's locked into himself and he cannot communicate except for then at the very end because he's so desperate he cries and this tear is the thing that people see and finally realize that he's not dead. Well it's physically locked in but of course it then becomes very psychological as well. He has a lot of this 
psychological blockages <laughs> in, in many of his characters. Yeah, I think he has a lot of movies where, where space is confined. I think the most famous, of course, is Rear Window, but there's also uh, maybe Dial M for Murder or Rope, which again are play adaptations, so it links back to that. But also there you have the room, which is mirroring also the, the emotional state of characters that they feel confined. And I think coming back to Rear Window, Jimmy Stewart is confined with his broken leg, to his apartment but I think there's also this relationship with his girlfriend played by Grace Kelly that he's also somehow locked in there because he's he feels the vitality and the energy of his younger girlfriend and he's a mid-aged man and I think there all these subconscious blockages that his character has I think it's it's also very much on subtext he has a lot of psychological blockages in his characters and also this is then translated into the physical space Someone's got his number. Yeah. Don't even think about leaving that booth. Wrong number, pal. I'm aiming at you right now. Can you feel it? Stu. Did you call me Stu? Who is this? Someone who enjoys watching you. I have a 30 caliber bolt action 700 with a handhold tactical scope. You mean like a rifle? At this range, the exit wound ought to be about the size of a small tangerine. You're bluffing. There's only one way to find out. But then you go down to just single moments in Psycho or The Birds or The Lady Vanishes where sometimes characters are locked in a marriage or in some kind of guilty feeling or in the actual places. And you were mentioning phone booth before and there's such a great phone booth scene in The Birds when Tippi Hedron mm. you know, has to rescue yes. herself and she's attacked viciously from all sides by these birds. So the visuals reminded me of, of that. And apparently what's interesting with Hitchcock, it goes back to childhood trauma. One of the stories he would always tell is the time when he was locked in prison for a very short time by a policeman and was then released only a little bit later and he said that feeling of being locked in and you can see it for instance in The Wrong Man by Hitchcock when Henry Fonda is almost in the exact same scene being locked in and the door closing I think for Hitchcock that was fundamental to his, his cinema this experience of being locked in panicking and then feeling like he, he can't get out anymore when we, when we threw around movie titles to discuss I think I think you also mentioned Polanski, specifically his apartment trilogy. Could you elaborate on this? Sure. One of the first things that came to mind, because I was always fascinated with the fact that in Polanski cinema, you have so many apartments with people spending an, an awful lot of time there, and they slowly but surely are taken in by that space. Of course, there is the perfect link between physically locked in and then locked in on their own psyche, on their own issues that they have. And the trilogy basically consists of 1965's Repulsion, starring Catherine Deneuve, working as a French girl in England, and she is then slowly but surely, I mean, she, she's losing it in the in her apartment. <laughs> and it's very, it's the creepiest film I've ever seen, I must say. And I dare not watch it again, because it was so creepy the first time I saw it. Then there's Rosemary's Baby, 1968, starring Mia Farrow and John Cassavetes and Ruth Gordon, famously. There it's the, this couple wanting to, you know, found a family, and she becomes pregnant and slowly realizing that there's something wrong with the pregnancy and she's locked in that creepy gothic building close to Central Park her neighbors are closing in on her and she's starting to realize that they are in on this pregnancy there's some plan behind it and she she goes mental just because she's in that space surrounded by all these peoples and sounds I think that the most ingenious one is the last one 1976 um, The Tenant where Polanski himself actually plays the main role and Polish immigrant coming into France 
France and moving into this creepy building. If you look at the, the set, uh, many have argued that this is kind of the dark version of Rear Window. There's almost the exact same, but very, very dark and dirty back side to the building where he sees the, the windows of the other apartments. And sometimes he sees himself on the other side. More and more, he puts himself in the mind of a girl who used to live there, who threw herself out of the window, and he slowly but surely becomes her. And is then also chased and paranoid about all the, his neighbors that are hounding him and, and knocking at his door and leaving things in front of his, his door and so on. It, it's riveting. I think all three examples just make that perfect case of apartments, buildings, character psyches, and how they interact. And you're not quite sure what is real, what is really happening. And of course, most famously, Rosemary screaming out, this is really happening. That must be my, almost my favorite idea of like locked in movies. Paris, on a quiet street, in an old building, a dead woman's vacant apartment is waiting waiting for the tenant. Roman Polanski is the tenant. In Chinatown, he exposed the dark side of corruption. In Repulsion, he explored a warped mind. In Rosemary's Baby, he examined the occult. Now, the tenant, something altogether new, altogether chilling, no one does it to you like Roman Polanski. So I haven't seen The Tenant, to be honest, so definitely I will watch that one. But I'm not sure if it's in our personal circumstances, the right movies to watch. <laughs> and it, it borders on horror. And I think that's what you mentioned before. Horror movies that are very closely linked to that as well. The slasher that you mentioned before, the origin of the slasher. What, what other horror thrillers did you think about? The Saw movies. I think the first Saw movie, which was actually a good horror movie because it had this very perverse concept of two strangers being locked in in this cold dark room or bright room so to speak and then of course the concept was perpetuated into i don't know how many movies but i think there is also this concept of people being trapped and then what makes the first movie so great is really the fact that there comes this psychological level to it what are you willing to do in order to survive or in order to escape this room this space and i think then later on they just made it into torture porn basically but I think Saw is certainly an example, but also Cube, which is maybe a, a bit a lesser known movie from, from the 90s, where also a group of strangers, they wake up in, in sort of a, a cube-like space and they try to escape. And in every, every time they manage to open the door, they get into another cube. So it's like a maze of cubes. The Hole is also one of those movies, I think, with a group of strangers in, in a dark hole, basically, with Selma Blair. The concept of being trapped in one space, one place, and then mysterious things happening to the protagonists, I think, is a staple of, of horror narratives in general. In terms of thrillers, I think thrillers also really cherish this, this concept. I think Panic Room with Jodie Foster, for example, 
which increases the suspense level or also buried with Ryan Reynolds, I think is the most extreme I've seen in that sense, because the concept is really he, Ryan Reynolds plays this guy who wakes up in a coffin and the whole movie is really taking place in this one coffin with him and he has a phone and a match and I don't know what, and he's trying to escape um, somehow and really the whole, it's a short movie, but still I think it's like 85 minutes of just Ryan Reynolds in a coffin and if this is something for you <laughs> go and have a look but I think the concept is really put to extreme in this one so I think horror movies and thrillers they really they feed on this this concept because otherwise if you could escape if you could leave or someone could come in and help you the whole suspense element would be gone and you know if you think again of, of classic gothic literature if you talk about buried, then you'd have to think of Buried Alive for the premature burial, one of the famous short stories by Edgar Allan Poe. And if you look at, at his stories, be it The Pit and the Pendulum, or also The Mask of Red Death, where there's this community of a prince and his guests at this masked ball, and then pestilence is ravaging the landscape around them, and they have this party, and the character that enters last in the black cloak, of course, turns out to be pestilence and death. And you know how... how a topical that story is if you think of today's world again because at the end they end up in that last room in the prince's apartment again an apartment story and they realize it's death that has come to join them and they all die including the prince lockdowns and locked ins and so on they're they're all over cinema so what makes them so ultimately cinematic or theatrical or dramatic in your view the physical restrictions it, it's a great ground for tensions um, and insecurities and fears and so on for the protagonists because it's the unnatural circumstance that, that, that brings out all these different emotions not only in, in the characters but also the audience who's watching it because yeah the, the fact that you're trapped in a coffin alive or you're trapped in a, in a train or you're, you are in a, in a random butcher's room where you can't escape I mean this is something which is not normal and I think they, they're using this setting to really enhance the suspense that's just what makes it so thrilling, I guess. <laughs> what I thought would be interesting is then also to see what recommendation we would have for movies that have to do with lockdowns for our listeners. Until now, to me, it sounded a little bit like there were only crime murder mystery, horror, deep psychological thrillers, but maybe we'll touch upon a few examples that are also more fun. Well, if you want a lockdown-themed movie that is fun, <laughs> and you're right, I think there are a lot more thrillers and, and horror movies about this trope, because as of the aforementioned reasons of, of the suspense. But I think one that is actually funny and is taking, spoofing a little bit this murder mystery theme that we touched upon in the beginning is Murder by Death. It's a movie from 1976 and it has really an amazing cast. I think there's Peter Sellers in honestly a bit of questionable yellow-facing role. There's David Niven, Maggie Smith, Peter Falk, who's amazing, um, Alec Guinness and so on, Truman Capote. And they all play spoofs of famous detectives. And they're not quite Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple, but they all have these funny names. And they all come together in this castle, of course. And then the host traps them and walks wants all the detectives to, to solve a riddle. And he, he promises the, the one detective who, 
who manages to to solve the riddle a million dollars and then it, it, it i mean it's 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 fluffy it's frothy it's it's unsubstantial in a way because it's just poking fun of all these tropes but at the same time they're also locked in the hilarious scenes in it i mean alec guinness plays a blind butler who has to communicate with the maid slash cook who is deaf mute so i mean yeah they're, they're it's very silly very funny i would say go for this one if you want to have a bit of fun Gunshots, monsieur. Gunshots, pop. Gunshots, Sam. Gunshots, Dickie. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. I like it, but do not understand it. That can only mean one thing. And I don't know what it is. It means, are these five monumental minds any match for murder by death? Well connected to that, I think François Ozon's We Femme, the 2002 mm. adaptation of another stage play starring from Catherine Deneuve to Fanny Ardant, Daniel Darieux, Emmanuel Béard, and Isabelle Huppert, of course, is also a fun ride. It's an actual murder mystery, but the way that Ozon did it, it becomes this bubblegum-colored musical where all the characters have something to sing about, and there's drama, and there's catfights, and there's revelations, and unexpected the twists and turns. It plays also a little bit on all these crime tropes, but for once there is no detective. They are their own detectives and of course they're also locked in, no one can reach them, and only at the very end do we get the big reveal. I think that would be the most fun lockdown movie that I would recommend. In preparation of this podcast I also watched a movie I wanted to watch for a very long time, which is uh, Lady in a Cage from 1964 and stars Olivia de Havilland. The movie was produced in the wake of the huge success of Whatever Happened to Baby Jane with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. I, I expected it to be also this grand dumb horror guignol, somehow this little bit campy, little bit gothic thriller of sorts, but it, it turned out to be a very grim and bleak parable of, of the changing society in the 1960s. The story, Olivia de Havilland plays a woman who's for a long weekend trapped in her house due to the fact that she's trapped in her elevator at home. And then there are a bunch of hoodlums coming, there is a prostitute coming, and they're basically ravaging her home. And she's trapped in this cage-like elevator and cannot really escape. And then there's a young um, James Caan, I think, in his first role as well. And it escalates into a really spiral of, of violence and it's really bleak, it's really dark. I was surprised how brutal the movie is. It's a bit of precursor to similar tropes and themes that you also have later on in, in Clockwork Orange, for example, or Funny Games. It's a very interesting sort of B-movie, really great. Not an easy watch, I would say. in a cage, locked in her own madhouse of insane intruders, powerless to stop the psychopathic horror that hems her in. If you cringe at violence, scream with fear, faint at horror, Lady in a Cage may not be for you, but if you can take the screen's heights of dramatic excitement, don't miss it. 
Speaking of James Caan, maybe there's another one I can mention here. You know, later on, he became, you know, even more famous in 1990 when he starred alongside Kathy Bates in Misery, the adaptation of the Stephen King novel. And I think that is also an ultimate lockdown story with uh, author Paul Sheldon, who's in a car accident when he has just finished writing his latest Misery novel. And then he is found by what turns out to be his biggest female fan played by Kathy Bates. And at first, of course, he's relieved and um, is happy to have been saved. But then she turns out to be that psycho who is horrified when she finds out in his manuscript that his character Misery is killed off. And she, you know, abuses him and and screams and and hurts him and forces him then to write this new version and, and burns the old manuscript. And it turns out into this chamber piece of confrontation between them. And of course, because he's he's hurt, he's been in the accident, he, he cannot get out. And of course, the Oscar winning performance by Kathy Bates is amazing. But I think that the whole movie, the whole atmosphere is so perfectly captures this sense of not able to escape no matter what you want to do and being together with the, the craziest woman imaginable <laughs> maybe also some some people have this feeling right now no, um, <laughs> i hope not i know you've been out is this what you're looking for eventually you'll come to accept the idea of being here annie whatever you think i'm not doing please don't do it annie for gods shh darling trust me god's sake It's for the best. God, I love you. I think another movie that came to my mind was The Hateful Eight by Quentin Tarantino, which I think takes this Agatha Christie premise to a whole other level. I think there's this snowed in cabin and a bunch of strangers come together again and everyone has their secrets and doesn't appear to be who they are. So it's really this classical Christie setup, but Tarantino blows it up to this epic Western opera on a really reduced scale, so to speak. It has Again, a bunch of actors who are really great. Kurt Russell, Samuel L. Jackson, Bruce Stern, and so on. It's it's also this chamber piece, because basically almost the whole movie is in this snow cabin, but it feels really epic and really great. It's a long movie. It has beautiful music by Morricone that we also touched upon in an earlier episode. Yeah, I think this is, is also a great watch. And another one with a snowed-in cabin and people locked in there, just like... Misery in that sense, there's a connection again. And also wheat farm. So I think snow is always locking you in. (laughs) Always a plus to have the opposite. Uh, I mentioned it briefly before, 12 Angry Men, where those jurors are locked in on a summery afternoon where it's really hot and they want to go home. And they, in a way, physically, they could technically leave but of course they can't because by jurisdiction they have to come up with a verdict or at least be be a hung jury but of course then it turns into this exciting match of discussions and debates about the guilt of a young Puerto Rican boy who's supposed to have killed his father and there's this this undertone of course of um, xenophobia and racism um, that is still very topical if you watch it today so it's been adapted into different versions um, since and there's fantastic performances you know from Henry Fondale to Lee J. Cobb, E.G. Marshall, Jack Warden, and so on. So with all the characters are really great. It's more the sweating out of a final decision. Is the guy guilty? And it goes from, you know, one person who thinks he's not guilty to then things changing around. And of course, that's the, the drama. So 
in a way, great lockdown movie, also with a you know political, still very topical message that still resonates very deeply. Twelve men with the smell of violent death in their nostrils. What's the matter with you guys? You're letting them slip through our fingers. Slip through our fingers? Are you his executioner? You cut it. Ever since you walked into this room, you've been acting like a self-appointed public avenger. Shut up. You're a sadist. Twelve men turned into twelve clawing animals. So finally, maybe we can also discuss how the current pandemic we are living in will shape the way maybe we see movies in the future and also this trope that we discussed so much now. Do you have any thoughts on that? How will the current situation, not only from a technical aspect, but also from a narrative aspect, influence future movies? Well, I hope not too much. I still have the impression that once lockdowns are over, people will have such a hunger for big, epic movies at the cinema. People will probably be almost not willing to watch more of these lockdown stories because cinema shouldn't be too much based in in reality and i think escapism will take over again hollywood has reacted of course to the <laughs> lockdown situation and there's this movie called locked down starring anne hathaway and chiwetel ejiofor and ben kingsley and it's kind of a heist movie that happens during the first lockdown in spring and doesn't look like a very good trailer Hi, Paxton. We heard London's in total lockdown. We are all locked in this psychological prison of burning aloneness. How's Linda? She's somewhere in the house. Is there some type of issue? We are fine. Not only is everything not okay, nothing is okay. Linda said she was planning to end our thing. Nobody wants to live alone. For two weeks, we are locked together here. You know, you think I'm so happy and normal. No, I, I'd never accuse you of being happy and normal. Because I'm not! I think it's just too soon. I don't think it's really appropriate at this time now to make a movie that takes this as a premise. Because I think it's different from what we discussed before. All the other movies, they had a different concept on lockdown. And this one really speaks out of this pandemic with people being on Zoom calls and so on. To me, this trailer looked a little bit... <sighs> The lockdown is, and also the title, I think it's a cheap setup in a way. In a way, it also already looks dated. It's already done. You don't want to see it anymore. Exactly, exactly. I don't want to go in half a year to the cinema and see a movie where Chivatel, Ejofjord and Anne Hathaway are having a Zoom call. You know, we don't, we, we don't want that. Who wants to see so. Zoom calls in movies, you know? We want to see like big epics. So, I mean, even though the new Bond has been delayed now forever, I'm looking forward to the grandezza of that the locations and the big setups and explosions and even though funnily enough the product placement that they put in a movie is now completely old-fashioned already they'll have to like do reshoots because his new phone is no longer new and the aston martin is no longer new i'm, I'm looking forward to of course that type of cinema i mean there was just recently this movie that came out and it's also available on netflix called malcolm and marie starring john david washington and Zendaya. they made it during the pandemic i think last summer and it has also a setting of just one flat and they're 
only these two actors, a small crew. So maybe this is also something that we can expect to see more, these reduced movies with less extras, less actors, less grandezza, as you put it, and more psychological chamber dramas. But then again, I think it's not a guarantee that just because you have to do it from a practical standpoint that you also get content-wise a great product. So I think I heard mixed reviews on this movie, so I don't really know. But I could imagine that in the future or in the at least near future, we can see more of these a little bit toned down movies, as opposed to your hopes of having the Big Bang <laughs> very soon again. And I also think that, that movies, they somehow always reflect, I mean, you, you, you touched upon escapism, but I think there's also these emotions and sentiments and experiences that people have that they also want to see on the silver screen, albeit bigger in that sense. And I maybe locked down this Anne Hathaway movie is not the best example, but I I think it could be something that feeds off into future storytelling because I think it was such a communal experience that everyone has some sort of experience with it that this can then also translate into future stories. It will be very interesting to see also globally in different cinema cultures how that will be reflected or if it will just be cinema as a place of dreams where all these experiences being locked down will just not play such a big role and you will kind of want to move on to enter new worlds and i think we will enter new worlds in our next podcast i guess so thank you everyone for listening thank you sam for this discussion it was fun absolutely i hope you enjoyed it as well and see you next time and we are again ready for close-up la, la, la.